Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks, bakers of all galactic goodness, like mini donuts, star crunch, cosmic cupcakes, cosmic brownies, nutty bars, and much more. It's all about celebrating your love of a galaxy far, far away. And Little Debbie is the fan's choice for all those sweet moments. Little Debbie, official snack of Rebel Force Radio, Rancho Obi-Wan, and fans around the galaxy. DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. From Tops comes the all-new digital card collecting app, Star Wars Card Trader. For the first time ever, collect and trade everything from legendary 1977 Star Wars cards to new cards featuring exclusive content from Star Wars Episode 7: The Force Awakens, all from the comfort of your mobile device. Star Wars Card Trader. These are the cards you're looking for. Rebel Force Radio presents Star Wars Oxygen. Music of John Williams. This is Red Five. I'm going in. Like Star Wars itself, the music in the film defied conventional wisdom. At a time when disco was burning up the charts, having a traditional symphonic soundtrack was another huge risk on Lucas's part. He really understood the genre that I was talking about. It's a group of composers that weren't that well looked upon in the 70s. There was a different attitude toward the old-fashioned symphonic and the scores. And I had a lot of music in the movie. Hey, Star Wars fans, Jimmy Mack here with you, and welcome back once again to Star Wars Oxygen, the music of John Williams. It's Rebel Force Radio's look and listen at the work of the maestro in all seven films of the Star Wars saga. Oh, The Force Awakens. Just can't stop talking about it, and we know you guys have a lot to say about it as well. And we want to go through all of that great feedback you've been giving us. Joining us, as always, the man who makes this conversation possible, musician, actor, Host of the Star Wars Celebration Digital Stage, video game industry veteran, and all-around great guy, David W. Collins. Hey, wow, what an intro. Hey, Jimmy Mack and Star Wars and music aficionados. We're running out of breath going through all your cred. <laughs> Uh, yes, I, I I do my best, Jimmy. I do my best, but but uh, most importantly, for the next hour, I am a co-host of Star Wars Oxygen here on Rebel Force Radio. Welcome to the show, Star Wars Oxygen: The Music of John Williams, Volume Twenty Eight. This is a listener feedback show, um, which is still revolving around the Force Awakens and things around it, the Force Awakens and soundtracks, uh, changing format a little bit because we've gotten so much feedback from you guys about the show. We want to use it as a springboard for conversation to continue The Force Awakens, but also beyond. Um, we've had a couple of really interesting thing ha things happen recently, one of which is that the Star Wars Ultimate Soundtrack Collection came out. want to give you my full take on that, um, and we can talk about it this hour. Um, and anything else, Jimmy, that you want to throw at me? So, Jimmy, you, let me get this straight. Now, you're, you've got the questions from now on. You're, you've got the questions, and you're just going to throw them at me. I'm just going to throw them at you. I'm the keeper of the mailbag. Love it. Love it. Yeah, the RFR mailbag. So whatever whatever you find interesting, whatever you think will be, you know, make for a good show, throw it out there and we'll we'll talk about it and uh, we'll tie it back to all things Star Wars that we love and, of course, the maestro John Williams. All right. Well, let's start with uh, Julian. He's writing us from Brussels, Belgium. So, you know, of course, we're worldwide. And, uh, <laughs> That's right. and uh, the question uh, Julian has is, 
The track from The Force Awakens, Finn's Confession, sounds a lot like the Queen confronts Newt and Rune Uh, from Phantom Menace. There's a track on the Phantom Menace soundtrack called The Queen Confronts Newt and Rune. Yes. Okay. Is that from the expanded soundtrack? Yeah, it's from the Ultimate Edition soundtrack. Different than the Ultimate Collection that just came out. See, this is what soundtracks are starting to get confusing. So we'll talk about that later in the show. But boy, you really picked a good one, Jimmy, because this is one that we've gotten probably over a dozen times. Um, It's a very, uh, very interesting question. So to repeat it back to you, Finn's Confession, which is a track on The Force Awakens. Sounds a lot like a track from episode one. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because I, the first time I heard that track, I thought, is no, is this a music edit from The Phantom Menace? No. Oh, this is new music because it's really close, Jimmy. Do you know what, yeah. what moment he's talking about here? You know, I, I really don't. Julian says he noticed it immediately while watching TFA for the first time, and he wondered why it was placed in a scene that had not much in common with the scene from The Phantom Menace? It's such a good question, and that's really well stated. So here's Finn's confession. This is from um, Maz's bar, <clears throat> where Ray goes over and says, what are you doing? You know, he's looking for passage uh, to get away from, from the planet. Yate, yate. Um, and, uh, and, and she goes, oh, what are you doing? And he confesses, I'm not a hero. I'm a stormtrooper, right? And, uh, and asks her to uh, come with him. Of course she doesn't and you hear this music play this is from this is track 10 from the uh from the soundtrack So there you go. And it goes on like that. Um, that is Finn's confession. Okay. Now, per the email, this is the Queen confronts Newt and Rune. Now, this is a scene from The Phantom Menace. The battle's over. Um, the transport lands and Newt Gunray and Rune Hako are are being escorted in front of the Queen. Ben Burt and Rick McCallum make a nice little cameo behind her, you know. Right. And she say, you're going to have a lot of explaining to do. You know, she says that to them. And you hear this. Let me A-B that for you again. Okay? This is the top of Finn's confession. Here it is. Right here. Right? Now here's the Queen confronts Newt and Rune from episode one, The Phantom Menace. What does it mean, Jimmy? What does it mean? (laughs) They are so similar. I'm so glad. Thank you for that email. Um, 
for those of you who want to email uh, your thoughts about this, just like this, show at rebelforceradio.com. Uh, we got a lot about this subject. You're absolutely right. They are so similar. Why, Jimmy? Now there are two of them. Now there are two of them. You two used the same track. You used uh, that music before. That was our confession music. I don't think he meant to use it before. No, that is not. That do not belong to Finn. Get this stunted slime out of my sight. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, I, I, what does it mean? What does yeah. it mean? What does it mean? I, I don't know if it means anything except for that. I don't know what it means, Jimmy. It's just, but you're absolutely right. It's, it's very similar, but dramatically they're so different, right? I mean, what's well, going there on is, there? You know, the, 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 the Newt and Rune track builds up to a, a more of a flourish at the end, kind of underlining the, the regalness of the fact that Padme's in the scene with them, I guess. Finn's confession doesn't necessarily build that much right. toward the end. But other than that, they're, they're really carbon copies of each other. They really are. Um, I think the only exception musically, when I listen to Finn's confession, and I've brought this up, uh, you know, we had a whole conversation in the previous volume about, is there a theme for Finn? The reason I don't think Finn's confession contains a theme for Finn is because I think it contains a theme for Ray. I feel like Ray's theme plays through this, right? Here it is. Right, you get this, uh, so you get, which is very similar to, right? You get, you get a little bit of that. Well, I mean, that whole discourse between the two of them, he does confess, but he turns it around and starts talking about her. I ran right into you. Come with me. You know, he he turns it around to where he's he's addressing her. So the music, I think, should reflect that. Yeah, I mean, possibly. I um, yeah, possibly. But I mean, that scene, whatever it is, is dramatically so different than the aftermath of episode one, where it's like, haha, you've been captured. You know, now we we know what you're up to. You're going to have a lot of explaining to do. You know, they're dramatically two very different beats, but musically so similar. Um, to that email, I don't know why, but I noticed it on my first listening as well. And um, it really popped out at me, especially after doing Oxygen on, on The Phantom Menace. For those of you first joining us on the show, you can go back and listen to all of those uh, episodes about the incredible score for The Phantom Menace from 1999. But uh, yeah, they're very similar. Um I noticed it as well. I wish I had an answer or some brilliant insight into there. If you do, please let us know. Um, for me, I just noticed that they're very similar um, and only slightly different in that one kind of contains hints at Ray's theme, just like the rest of The Force Awakens does in its score. Well, good ears, because you know what? I did not pick up on that. I know that's hard to believe, but I didn't. Um, that's a real good pickup. And, and why recycle the music? Why recycle the music? There's really, yeah. No yeah. threads. Yeah, and it's not like it's a needle drop, which is a phrase for, you know, just cutting in old music from that, you know, an old recording. It's not. It's a new recording, you know, but it's uh, the content of that recording is musically very similar. Well, okay. Here, here's the thinnest connection I can make. Go for the it. The fact that the gig was up <laughs> for both the Trade Federation and for Finn, they, they've been exposed, essentially. The Trade Federation have been exposed as the masterminds behind this whole plot to overthrow Naboo illegally, as it turns out. And uh, at the same time, 
Finn is being exposed for not being who he is. He lied about being a resistance officer, and he's coming clean with her. And Well, the difference is he's exposing himself. Hey, now, very different movie. But uh, no, no, he, this is a heartfelt confession from one of the heroes of the movie, right? You know, versus a, you know, uh, after the battle's over and, and uh, they're walking away in handcuffs. But, you know, it's actually, I think the music actually works better in the case of episode seven. In episode one, it's it's... Well, I mean, they're just, I can't say it's better or worse. They're actually just just doing dramatically two very different things, even though the music is so similar. It's a really fascinating uh, little subject to bring up because um, I'm kind of dumbfounded by it. And I certainly don't have any sort of, you know, uh, over-anxious, over-analysis, Star Wars fan, musicologist uh, thing to bring to it other than, yep, you're right. It's, it's very similar. I think there's only one person who can answer this. So if John Williams, if you're listening, float us an email, show at rebelforceradio.com or tweet to us, John. Tweet to us. Oh, baby, it was a long day. It was a long <laughs> day. I just I just thought I'd just pick it up and put it in. Put it, put it, put it right there. No, I've got, I don't know. I don't know why. But anyway, great question. John Williams' confession, it sounds like. Yeah, John's confession. Oh, baby, I just, I love the Phantom Menace. I, you know, it's nice, though, to get, to be serious, though, it's nice to get prequel callbacks in in uh, episode seven to really tie the entire saga together musically we got so many i don't want to give it away but there's there's a few more that you've that many of you have already brought up we'll look at them at a future show i've got a whole thing i want to roll out about prequel connections with john williams but this is definitely one that uh, i thought we should uh tackle well since you asked <laughs> maybe you'll ask more i don't know all right here's an email from jill Jill says, thanks for the great musical analysis. David, is there a Han Solo theme anywhere in Kylo Ren's musical journey? Mm. Well, that's a good question. That is a good question. I had someone say to me on Facebook, I can't believe you haven't brought up the obvious uh, Han and Leia connection with Kylo Ren's theme. I, I spun on that for a while, and I went back and I thought... Uh, hmm. No. All right. Uh, right. No. Uh, no. I don't know if there is. In fact, I don't think there is. I, I, I really don't. I, I don't see it. I feel like I should. And maybe I'm missing something that is right in front of my face. So this is a golden opportunity for you as Star Wars fans and music aficionados to write in and and tell us exactly how uh, Han Solo and the Princess is featured in any of Kylo Ren's themes. Um, because I, I don't hear it. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, Kylo Ren is, is very, you know, at least this is based on that sort of pentatonic blues scale, right? Or in the key of A minor. Right? Now, now you're you're delving into my realm of musical knowledge. Right, it's the same as the Emperor's theme, right? It's that it's that blue note or that tritone, right? It's you know, right? It's that it's that kind of thing, right? And then the other one, I feel like I connected in the last volume to the, a bit to the Force theme, um, and then this one is I you know I don't hear in in this uh, what is it? Uh, I don't hear Hansel and the Princess of that either. So if you if you hear it and you want to point it out and just kind of prove it, prove it out, um, please let us know and we'll absolutely feature it on the next show. 
For sure, for sure. Here's an email from Brendan who says, I wanted to write you because I noticed something pretty cool while listening to the soundtrack of The Force Awakens. While listening to the track The Falcon, I started driving myself crazy because I couldn't figure out why it sounded so familiar. I listened to the whole soundtrack multiple times but couldn't place it. David, do you, do you know why The Falcon is sounding so familiar to uh, this young man? Hmm. I'm going to guess it's what we said in the last uh, volume of the show that it it kind of has very similar, especially in the Falcon track, it does some very similar things to the uh, Asteroid Chase, which is yeah, kind of the yeah. other kind of it's kind of a it's kind of got a, a sibling relationship with that whole scene in, in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, it's got that same sort of eighth note rhythmic pulse. Anyway, is that what he says? Yeah, that's what he says he couldn't figure out why it sounded so familiar. And then today he had his phone shuffling music and the asteroid field came on. And it's he says it's practically the same track. Now, I don't know if I hear that. I don't think it's practically the same track. Right. But there are there are big there are big similarities in there. Yeah, there are. You know, I mean, I think when you get into. Uh, let's see here. Right, obviously the the rhythm is different, but the tempo is very similar, right? Now, if we A B these two, let's see if we A B these two, right? So if we go from, um, oh, let's see this. Right to this. Especially right here. You know, I can I can definitely feel the connection there. You know, I think it's got a very similar tempo and similar, uh, very straight bump, 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 bump. You know, one's going one and two and three and four, and one's going bottom, 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 skip the bump, dump, 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 skip two, three, one, two, dun, dun, You know, like so they're rhythmically. In terms of uh, tempo and pulse, similar but metered out differently. But you know, one of the my favorite moments in that asteroid chase is when the Falcon. Uh, you know, you you uh, you get Han Solo and the princess here. You know. And then you get this wonderful shot, which was very sort of avant-garde for the time, which is when the Falcon flies out of frame and then flies back in at a distance right here. I mean, that's John Williams scoring the visual effect shot perfectly, right? Um, and in the cave, you do get some similar moves in the Falcon track, right? So I think that there's, uh, there's some argument to be made there. Let's just play this for a little bit. Little take on Rebel Fanfare there. Right. This is a great action cue. There it is right there. So that's the asteroid field right there. Right, especially with that percussion in the background. Bump bump. Right? So it's got a callback to it. And there's that cool Falcon move that I was talking about. Now back to the 11-8. 
Rebel Fanfare. Which... This also reminds me of the TIE Fighter attack from Episode 4, you know, with the Rebel Fanfare coming in all the time. I'm looking for that big flyover, Jimmy. I hear a little bit of the TIE Fighter attack in there uh, from Episode 4. I hear a little bit of the, the, the trench run in there. You know what I heard? What's that? Just briefly, I, I heard a callback to Duel of the Fates. You're not the first person who's mentioned that. Um, do you remember where? Just a little bit back where it would go bum, 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 mm-hmm. bum, bum. Is it here? Maybe it's here. That was it. Yeah. 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 It. yeah. It's funny. I read an LA Times, Times article about John Williams saying that he worked a lot to make the, the music feel Star Warsian in terms of its intervals and orchestration. And I think when he gets to action music, you know, he's, he's bringing it all in. This is the seventh movie. So he's bringing all of those tricks to bear, you know, six films of doing this stuff. And he's got a huge bag of tricks that he can employ when he's doing action music. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if a lot of that stuff is in there. Um, I hear it too, the bump, 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 you know. Um, we did get, I, I read a couple listener feedback emails talking about that. But back to the uh, comparison between the Falcon and the asteroid field. The final question Brendan has to ask is, with the similarities, does this mean that John Williams wrote a theme for the Millennium Falcon back in 1980, but didn't title it for 35 years? <laughs> Possibly, you know, or he was going back and listening to old material, looking for something that he could hang his hat on for the Falcon. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, that's probably, I mean, you know, uh, John Williams isn't on the show, but maybe, you know, maybe we're crazy, but I think he, he's got a point there. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it in the last volume again. It's It's got an odd time signature, and really it's the time signature and the pulse that identify it as a as a motif more than anything else. Because rhythmically, it's, it's really, or melodically rather, it's not much. Right? So it's it's really just the bump, 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 right? That really makes it stand out. And the constant dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun that, that uh, makes it feel like the Falcon, just like an empire, the asteroid. Yeah. Field. Yeah, I mean, that music you obviously, from you know the, the asteroid field, that is a great place for Williams to go back and say, well, if I'm going to write a theme for the Falcon, wh- yeah, which piece really represents that? Sure. And 
it looks like he narrowed in on the asteroid field. And I think that was a great call. Yeah. Brendan signs his email. And don't forget, we spotted the droid heading east with a girl. East. Hey, now. <laughs> Wrong direction. Uh, which <laughs> well, way did he go? has different intel than you've been getting. I guess so. Well, it's not east. It's west. East. How, what a bad stormtrooper. Sir, he was spotted uh, east. He's, uh, uh, he's looking at his compass. Oh, oh. <laughs> Which way is north? All right, here's an email from Anthony Cruz, Brooklyn, New York. Anthony, full effect Cruz checking in. I am a 26-year-old audio engineer from New York City and a big fan of the podcast. After listening to the first part of your Force Awakens review for Oxygen with David Collins, I was inspired to take the John Williams composition, Ray's theme, and do a remix of sorts to show you just how commercially viable the composition actually is in today's musical landscape. Using reworked, rearranged portions of the original composition, keys played on the actual podcast by David Collins... <laughs> so, David, you're part of the mix here. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> and some added instruments of his own. I created a new version of Ray's theme, which embodies both the current landscape of today's popular music and the emotion from the original. In addition to that, I cut some trailer footage together from TV spots, teasers, etc., to create visuals for this new version of Ray's theme, which can be viewed at the following link. Yada, yada, yada. We'll put the link up on rebelforceradio.com and on Facebook. But um, what we're concentrating here is not on his video, but the music, actually. I want to hear this remix. He took Ray's theme, did a remix of it, added your keys from Star Wars Oxygen here on <laughs> Rebel Force Radio. I'm so sorry, and, by the way, for all the tempo matching and beat mapping you had to do on my, on my stuff. But anyway, yes, it's, it's a huge thrill. This um, is kind of like when uh, John, Paul, and George found that old demo of John Lennon's and they reworked it to create a new Beatles song decades after his death. Right. <laughs> oh, <So>, no. <laughs> what is that? Well, I, uh. I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> well, good, good. Yeah, I mean, it, this is really cool. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of drop it in the middle here uh, and play some of, the, some of this. Um, it's really cool. Um, here's some of it right here. Yeah, really honing in on, on the end of the theme there. But he had, I mean, he had sound effects going and all kinds of stuff. And the video editing was really good too. stuff you know puts you in a trance this should you be playing this at the clubs in brooklyn get out there that's awesome yeah it, it's a cool it's a cool track really really pumps with my subwoofer here in the home studio but uh yeah i mean it's a good uh oh gosh it's a good it's four, almost four minutes of uh of of remix and a really great video edit that he did thanks so much for saying that deeply honored to uh have you take some of my uh my piano playing and put it in there 
um, as piano is not my primary instrument at all. But um, yeah, really, really cool. I think it's amazing. And so you can check out the video here, the track in its entirety by Anthony Full Effect Cruz. Great work. Brooklyn. Big shout out to Brooklyn. That's right. And uh, that's uh, Ray's theme, Star Wars Oxygen Remix, featuring keys by David W. Collins. Yeah, very creative, very, uh, you know, and great and great video editing, by the way. The whole thing was just really impressive. I watched it and then I said I said to my wife, I'm like, you got to come in here and check this out. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I've always said that our listening audience is among the most creative and talented Star Wars fans in the galaxy, and something like that just goes to prove it. I've so. noticed that with hardcore Star Wars fans as well, that, <clears throat> you know, there's something about Star Wars where, and and I'm not the first person to say this, but you have this desire to not only be a part of the universe, but to create yourself. You want to create things, not just Star Wars, but just create. Like, there's something about it that inspires people to become creative and do creative works. Um, this is certainly true in my life. It inspired me to to pursue creative endeavors um, as a kid, and I'm, I'm still here talking about it um, years, years later. But yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true, Jimmy. People do amazing, amazing work, be it uh, visually or with costumes or with sound and music. Um, Star Wars is just so inspirational all around. All right, our next email is from Caitlin Roll. She's a band director and new listener from West Memphis, Arkansas. Well, welcome aboard, Caitlin. Caitlin says, uh, David, I loved your analysis of Ray's theme on oxygen. I actually teach a music theory class, and every day we have a listening portion of class where we listen to and analyze pieces of music. One day before Christmas break, we listened to Ray's theme, and some of the students thought it was from Harry Potter, funny enough. But when I told them it was from Star Wars, we began analyzing the themes and instruments used. And that's when I had a thought. I wondered if Ray's theme ever centered around solfege. Ray, is that R-E? Yeah, R-E, Ray. Mm, that's, Ray. Yeah, I remember this email. Mm -hmm. Second scale degree. Mm -hmm. On purpose. She's wondering if this is being done on purpose as a play on her name. Oh, I get it. So then she had the kids help her figure uh, this all out. They noticed a lot of the theme actually doesn't use Ray at all and actually arpeggiates around it. You were talking about last week with La, Do, Re, Mi. And the one time Ray is actually used in the theme, it's used more as a neighbor tone to me. One of the things that she said in that email, and we've gotten this a lot, is is don't be afraid to get a little more technical. I, f I find myself apologizing. I certainly did a couple volumes ago about going, I'm sorry to get technical here. And since I said that, we've gotten a few emails going, no, get technical. I want to know, you know? And, um, and uh, I think she mentioned this as well in this email, right? Me, yes. Yeah. In the do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti. So solfege, this is an interesting thing. So let's let's get into a little musicology here. Actually, it's more music theory, right? There is a thing, and this will be familiar to everyone because of the sound of music. There is a thing that is used to teach music called solfege. S-O-L-F-E, I believe G-E or D-G-E, I can't even remember. Um, but what it is, is it's the art of giving a syllable or a name to intervals in a scale, right? So all a scale is, is a sequential series of notes that you learn. You know, there's a major scale. Right? Minor scale. And when you play different notes together in these scales, they create chords. Major chord, 
minor chord, right? So let's talk about major. This is C major, right? Right? So if you're playing in C major, each interval has a name. And it's Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, Ti, Do, right? Do, Ti, La, Sol, Fa, Mi, Re, Do. So if you're singing something, like sol 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 do sol fa mi re do sol fa mi re do sol fa mi fa re right you can sit there and talk to other musicians about how a melody goes and each of the steps in a scale actually have a name thus the song do a deer a female deer re a drop of golden sun me a name right although they say so a needle pulling thread even though it's actually sol sol as in spanish for sun um so they all have names and I used to drive my my roommates crazy in in music school singing like you know the Simpsons theme and I'd be like do mi fi la sol mi do la fi 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 sol you know sol, fi 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 sol te do 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 re 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 mi you know I used to do all this crap because you know there's not just uh there's not just major and minor solfege but there's chromatic right do di re di re mi fi sol si la ti Te, si, te, ti, do, yeah, do, ti, te, la, le, sol. So like you can go all the way down and the syllables change depending on if you're going up or down. Like, so it was like this language. And in, in music school, I remember I had to transcribe a, a jazz solo and sing solfege in front of the class as my ear training finals for ear training four. You know, you had to take a solo and like actually transcribe what he did, but then actually get up and sing it using solfege. Uh, in front of the class, chromatic solfege. So like, it's a really, really valuable tool. I just thought people would be interested in knowing that. So when we talk about intervals, which we do a lot on this show, right? So that's sol, sol, mi, 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 fa, fi, ma, fa, fa, mi, re, right? So you can actually have conversations about music that are not in the abstract. Um, so what she's saying is, does Ray's theme, right, uh, evolve around Ray, which would be this note? And it does not, right? It hits a little. It's really, it's really just a, a minor, uh, minor chord, you know. Do, do, me, sol, right? Uh, what is that? Fa, sol. Yeah. So, I, I sit there and sing this to other music people all the time. I just thought it would be something interesting for people to note. Um, from there, you 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 quiz yourself. Like someone will play a C. And they'll say, sing, you know, soul in this key. And you'll go, soul, sing T, T. Like, you know, you, and this is how you do ear training. So um, very fascinating. So I, if all, any of you are interested, you can Google solfege and try and sit there and and go, you know, memedo, memedo, se se fa se fa medo. You know, like I sit there and do this to myself because I'm a dork. Uh, but I, I just love it. I love solfege. I, I sit there and do it and try and do it as fast as I can. Um chromatically and uh what a great email and to all music students listening thank you for listening um you know i it's great to do this little feedback show because we could get a little more technical um and uh i let me know if it's more of something that you'd like to hear i don't want to alienate any listeners but i think that it's basic enough to at least appreciate that that exists um and that uh and that music students and composers think it's a way to help your brain think in terms of intervals and actually give them proper names all right, here's one from Matt. <laughs> this one, you're, you're, you don't know anything about this one, so I'm putting oh, you on the spot here. Put dude. me on the spot. All right, this is from Matt Marks, who uh, says he's a huge fan of the show. Well, thank you, Matt. Matt says, I noticed something last episode while David was playing the notes to Kylo Ren's theme in order to compare it to Ray's theme. While he was playing the notes, I thought I heard the Emperor's theme. Maybe you noticed 
said something about it, but if you did, I missed it. Anyway, I played the notes on piano, and sure enough, the beginning notes of Kylo Ren's theme are just rearranged notes from the Emperor's theme. I would assume this was deliberate on William's part. I attached a recording for you to listen to. So there's Matt on piano. What do you think, David? It is uh, very similar to, um, yeah, we did cover this actually. So the is, right? It's that same idea. It's, it's a, it's a pentatonic blues scale, right? Or. So, yeah, it's rooted in the same evil. Let's put it that way. Great question. Good question. All right, let me just see. I'm, I'm flying blind here, so. Um, a lot of new listeners. A lot of new listeners. I've got uh, one that got sent to me via Twitter. Go for it. For those of you that are new to the show, one of the, one of the treats that we have is one of our listeners is Robert Lopez, who um, is the co-writer of uh, Frozen, uh, Avenue Q, um, Book of Mormon, High School Musical, all those. Uh, oh, Robert. Yeah, you did High School Musical, right? <laughs> uh, if you didn't, I apologize. Anyway, you're awesome. I'm just going to start throwing other things in there. He wrote Lawrence of Arabia. No, I think he, he did High School Musical. Um, so Robert has done just a ton of amazing stuff, and he's a huge Star Wars fan. And uh, we go back and forth on Twitter. He wrote something really interesting about Ray's theme. And this, I think, ties into our first conversation about The Force Awakens. Um where he said, uh, you know, we were talking about Ray's theme being kind of hidden, and most people just picked up on, you know, the, uh, right, um, or the or the Christmas bells, as we called them, right? But they didn't necessarily pick up on the melody. Now, he wrote something really interesting. As a songwriter, this is Robert, Robert Lopez writing, I sense John Williams deliberately subverted the memorableness of the tune with those two very hooky intro elements, which tread on similar territory to the tune. The rhythmic solo flute, bum, 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 outlines the first few notes of Ray's theme and the, quote, Christmassy part, which is also a DSRA quote, by the way, shares its opening rhythm. This subtly interferes with our ability to process and remember the tune when it actually comes, which is why we had to break it down to really hear what a great tune it was. Now, this, this, he says, is interesting. Normally, if you want people to hear your melody and remember it, you create an intro which contrasts and doesn't compete with it. I wonder if he did this deliberately because Ray has clearly blocked memories of her traumatic past. The Hogwarts-esque D.S. Irae quote seems tied to this since death was surely involved. Um, ha- you know, Happy New Year, um, eh, Bobby. So... What's so interesting about that is that he's basically saying that the intro is so similar to the melody, which interferes with our ability to remember the melody the first time you hear it. And if you look at Let It Go, for example, and I'm just going to butcher this, right? Um, You know, what is that? How does that song go? Uh, Yeah, cold outside on the mountain tonight. You know, I can't remember. But um, the intro's got this like... um, Something like that, right? It's got that kind of thing in it. The da 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 da. If you remember Frozen, 
As a songwriter, he writes a totally different hook as an intro so that when the melody comes in, it really stands out. John Williams didn't do that, and he argues that it's because he wanted it to be a sneak attack. He wanted it to grow on you. He didn't want to hit you over the head with it. Um, and it's interesting to get a songwriter's perspective on that from a technical standpoint. Hmm. Fascinating stuff. I, I, I'm, I just feel like I'm in a master class right now, quite honestly. Well, he said, this I think goes back to Jimmy, people's comments about, well, you know, it's not quite the same memorable score that we got from the other movies. Perhaps this is part of why, that it's a sneak attack. It's not meant to be something that just blasts at you like the opening chords of, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, and I think I think he's onto something there. Anyway, interesting. Thanks, Bobby, for the email. So you wanted to talk a little bit about this new release, this soundtrack release. Yes. The Mitt Soundtrack Collection. Yes. The Ultimate we Soundtrack. A, do we have an email we want to read? Uh, we got a few. Uh, a lot of people asked about it. Um, boy, let me let me see if I can pull one up here. Um, one of the biggest emails that we got over and over again was uh, a Google talk that engineer Sean Murphy, who engineered uh, the orchestral recordings for episodes one, two, and three, and seven, um, a Google talk he did with Dan Thompson, who's a friend of mine from uh, Skywalker Sound on the scoring stage. I was an intern under Dan many years ago. And Pat Sullivan, a mastering engineer from Bernie Grundman Mastering, who mastered the recordings. Um, about the new Ultimate Soundtrack Collection. Now, we mentioned a few months ago that this was coming out beginning of January, and a lot of people have brought it up. I I bought it. I have listened to it, analyzed it, and just wanted to share my thoughts. Jimmy, you, you remember there was some confusion about what this thing was? Right, right. It's Is this a primarily vinyl collection? Is that how it's being offered up? I, I, I see you can get it on iTunes, too. So, no, it's a wide-release sort of thing. Um, yes. Yeah. I, I just, uh, there, there's a little confusion on my end. Is there anything new in here? Well, here's the deal. And, and the answer is complicated, right? So first of all, it's a gorgeous piece to answer your question. The ultimate soundtrack came out, uh, for the first six films, the ultimate collection, it was released on vinyl. It was released on compact disc CD, and it was released digitally. Now the releases are different. And this is a huge thing to bring up. So if you buy the CDs, I actually have them here. If you buy the CDs, the packaging is beautiful. It's the original art from the original packaging of the vinyl releases in 77, 80, and 83. And then the soundtracks from 99, 2002, and 2005 of the prequels, right? Mm -hmm. But the content on the compact discs is the same as what we've always had. It's the same on the compact discs. So it's a nice collection if you're a, if you're a if you're a soundtrack collector like me, it's definitely worth worth the money, but if you're looking for something new, this is not for you. Okay? The only thing that's new on it is it includes Star Wars a Musical Journey, which you could buy with episode 3, so not new, but you know, in case you didn't get to check that out. And then it does feature a bonus disc which has some very nice interviews from John Williams and Harrison Ford talking about John Williams, uh, which we can cover at a later date, but other than that, it's not new. However, they did some new stuff. Um, they went back and they found the original stereo analog masters of the soundtrack albums, not the special edition stuff, but the soundtrack albums of the classic trilogy, mm-hmm. four, five, and six, and they redigitized them. Okay. That means that they did a much higher sample rate, much better uh, 
denoising. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've mentioned before that the Return of the Jedi Special Edition sounds like a, someone threw a blanket over it, like the high ends are very muted. Um, and they also remastered episodes one, two, and three. Now, um, the only way to really hear those remasters is to buy the vinyl or to buy it digitally. Here's the thing. You can buy it mastered for iTunes. I have not done that. But I actually went to a website called HD Tracks and bought high sample rate. And I'm talking like 192 kilohertz, 24-bit sample rate recordings of the classic trilogy and 44, 24-bit recordings of the prequel trilogy. And they are the most stellar versions I have ever, ever heard. I mean, they just sound great. However, it's not the full special edition releases. Right. It is, if you buy the vinyl or you buy the digital, you're going to get the original soundtrack albums of the classic trilogy and the prequel trilogy. No Phantom Menace Ultimate Edition, no special edition soundtracks for episodes four, five, and six. It is the original soundtrack albums of all six films remastered, right? Right. Um, I, I have some clips here from their Google talk. Um, one of them is Sean Murphy talking about releasing everything versus releasing just uh, soundtrack bits. I thought that listeners of the show would find this very interesting. Let's check this out. Well, here's the thing. Uh, you have a group of people who would love to hear all the cues complete, uh, multiple CD versions, uh, not a note left out. Uh, and, you know, you have to remember, a lot of this music was written for dialogue scenes to accompany action, and, uh, and it, it was never meant to, to be played by itself as a piece of music, but a lot of people enjoy that because it's, it's their hobby, they're a fan, they, they like that. Understood. Uh, I think, John, as Pat said, John's attitude in the, in the CD is to look at it in a little more of a, of a, a normal person. You know, I'd say normal person. Hey, now. Uh, listen. <laughs> uh, where it, the CD plays... You know, it's sequenced through and everything is, it makes more sense musically and doesn't waste time by repeating phrases or having a 30-second held note, held note while we're waiting for dialogue to finish. Having said that, I think there are arguments for both versions. And, of course, it's just a, it's a matter of money. It's a matter of, of time and money to create a version of these scores that is uh, unfettered. You know, it, it's uncut and it's complete and it might represent multiple CDs or a, or a large download at high res versus uh, you know, the version that, that the other many thousands of people will like because they don't care about having every note. Which is right, which is wrong, I don't think there's an answer. Uh, I, you know, I can go into a, you know, gory blow-by-blow descriptions of what exists on these masters because I, I know. Uh, but but the, you know, truth be told, it's hard to develop a complete uncut version because so many of these cues get placed to existing picture quickly after they're recorded. So do full and uncut versions of the cues exist anywhere? Sometimes no. Sometimes the version is cut so quickly that you never have a complete version of the cue that hasn't been placed to picture and been altered in some way. Whoa. So they don't even save their raw masters, they just edit the master and that's it. Well, what is I'm, that what I'm hearing? That's kind of what he's saying. And I think there's, I think also what he's saying is that sometimes you'll be in the studio and they'll have to like extend a note and literally he's just holding a long note for something to finish to hit another point. So, you know, John Williams is constantly trying to make good music and pleasant listening experiences for people that are listening separate from when the picture is unavailable. And the other thing he's saying is that, you know, 
which audience do you know which audience do you go for do you go for here's the audience that wants to have a great you know soundtrack that feels like a, a thought out album or do you go for the completionist audience which i think a lot of us fall into that camp and both are valid um but one is much easier to create than the other and i think there are multiple reasons for that i've got a couple more clips where they talk about why here's one on just trying to flat out find the masters i thought this was fascinating trying to find the exact ones to this is use. dan thompson from skyscrapers a little research on when things were recorded um things like that um uh, jokingly i I think I found one of the reels leaning up against this crate that said Ark of the Covenant on it. <laughs> but no, it wasn't really there. But it's nice to think of it that way. Well, the thing you have to remember, too, is that there are a lot of different masters. I mean, Dan found stereo masters for four, five, and six, which are, were original LP masters. But there are film masters, and there, there are various iterations of film masters, original scoring masters, uh, dub units, uh, final print masters on, uh, on film or now on Pro Tools or, or whatever the format was. And a lot of those masters uh, are in boxes, not in the vault. They're, they're in, the, in the salt mines or they're, they're stored away someplace where mm -hmm. who, who knows? I mean, you probably have to open a, a, a thousand cardboard boxes to find all of it. Um, it, it uh, and a lot of that material is our best existing version of these scores. Uh, because especially in the early years, in, in episodes four, five, and six, we don't have existing multi-track masters of all that material. We do have mix masters, and again, like I say, Eric Tomlinson, like I, did live mixes, so you have a good representation in Eric's mixes of what was there, but those are on mag film, and they were used for dubbing, and they're in a box in a salt mine someplace that Dan never found, and I certainly have never found, mm -hmm. and, and we know they exist, but... Uh, you know, it's a bit of a train wreck uh, to, yeah. to, to know what we've difficult. got and where it is. You know, it's a, so it's, your, it's a good question. <laughs> well, let me just say also part of the issue, too, is that the ownership of uh, mm. the music has changed hands many times. Uh -huh. so you never really know when, you know, Company B purchases from Company A, are they really getting everything that Company A had? And then there's Company C and, you know, so... That's Tom Lasky from it's, Sony. It's tough to keep track of that stuff. And, and that's true of so many, so many projects in, in recordings that, the, you know, the real masters and the multitracks and all that, they're just... So it's, he's basically saying this is a complicated question, right? This is not a... Uh... This is not an easy assembly task. And I'm getting the feeling that when they digitized the stuff for the special editions, uh, they decided that those digital transfers weren't as good. So they, they were yet again, last year, put in a position where they had to go and find the analog masters. Now it's even more complicated now that Disney owns the company. Um, I can, I'm merely speculating. I have not spoken to any of these people about this, but it could also be possible that Sony doesn't have the ability to put out an all new version of a soundtrack and only re-release the soundtracks in some existing form that they've already released. I don't know if that's true. Um, but for, for whatever reason, um, they didn't have the ability to go in or the budget to massively assemble, um, everything. Uh, what they did do was stellar. I have to say it's the best digital transfer I've ever heard. I, I created a, a 192 session. So just a quick education, since we were talking about getting more technical. Okay. Analog and digital. Do I have time to go into this even briefly? Yeah. 
Okay. Analog and digital. You know this, Jimmy. Like analog, when, when, when some, just a quick history of analog and digital. So we even know what we're talking about when we talk about quality and resolution. Analog simply uh, refers to, you know, a, a electronic representation of something that happens acoustically. When I speak, um, I am compressing and rarefying air creating a sound wave, which is picked up by your ear, which transmits a signal to your brain, right? And I'm com I'm transmitting a complex sound wave that sounds like my voice, doesn't sound like anybody else. When you speak into a microphone or something like that, it's a transducer that can that takes that air, compressed and rarefied, into positive and negative charges. That would get laid down on analog tape as particles and then played back through speakers, which all a speaker is is the reverse of a microphone with more electricity going through it. So it's amplifying... Uh, your signal, right? It's turning it from electric back into acoustic energy. That's analog. For years and years and years, everything went on to analog tape. It has a certain sound, a certain warmth. That's how everything existed on tape. Until the uh, late 80s, actually mid 80s is honestly late 70s, but when it commercially first became available was in the 80s with compact disc, they were sampling analog waveforms. And what samples means is that a certain amount of times per second, you're taking a digital reading, a hit of a waveform. And the more hits you take, the more resolution you have. Well, they determined that for a CD, the highest resolution necessary was 44.1 kilohertz sample rate, which is double the rate of what human ears can hear. They thought that would be it. And 16 bit, bit is depth in terms of resolution, dynamic range, all that kind of stuff. Well, since then, they've moved on to 192 kilohertz, right? And 24-bit, now 32-bit. You know, so they're realizing, and albums aren't recorded at 4416. They're recorded at 96, 192, and then they're chomped down to 4416. And that's just compact disc. What we get on iTunes is actually worse than that. It's compressed into an MP3, or it's compressed into AAC or MP4 or whatever. So it's actually less resolution than that, right? So digital is for the most part, what is commercially commercially available, not as high resolution or as natural to us as analog is. That's why vinyl's making a comeback. So for you to get a high resolution download means that they have captured with as much fidelity as they can, just like a TV, like a 4K TV, what happened on the date, right? Um, and uh, I've got all kinds of you know stuff of them talking about sample rates and samples and stuff. I won't get into it, but the idea is here that... Um, you know, when they first put it out, the special edition soundtracks, they put them out. They had to denoise them because there was all kinds of tape hiss and stuff. They overdid it a little bit, you know, and that's why Return of the Jedi sounds a little muted. Um, and then they compressed this stuff like crazy, you know. Um, what they gave us in this Ultimate Edition, for any of you that are curious about this stuff, go download a free waveform editor on your Mac or your PC. Just do a search for free waveform editor. You can probably go to CNET. They'll find, have a couple for you. And open up a track in that waveform editor and look at the waveform. And the more spiky it looks, the more peaks and valleys you have in the orchestral recording, the, the less compressed it is, right? You actually can hear some dynamic range. Whereas the more bricky it looks, the uh, more compressed it is. Of course, you listen to Star Wars Oxygen. This is radio style. We're a complete brick. So actually playing these samples for you uh, on a radio show doesn't really work. Um, but as a home listener and as someone that purchases or listens to music, this is something to be aware of. Uh, fidelity matters. That's why movies sound great in a movie theater and sound different when they're playing it off of uh, a TV station, right? You don't have that dynamic range, nor do you have the equipment to listen to on it at home that competes with a movie theater. Um, but those recordings and the quality of those recordings exist, um, and that's what they really went for here. It's not complete, but if you're an audiophile, it's for you. If you're a vinyl collector, it's for you. 
Um, if you're a CD collector, I would say, you know, it's really more the same. It's not much different than the Carillion collection or some of the other collections that they put out already. Um, so that's my take on this. I think the vinyl stuff is awesome. And I think that the digital high res HD downloads are awesome, but, um, yeah, there you go. Long live analog, right? Long live analog, baby. That's the truth. Well, my God, David, what an education (laughs) again. You never fail to amaze and enlighten. And I, I, I really enjoyed hearing uh, some great listener feedback from everyone. Guys, keep it coming. Show at rebelforceradio.com or uh, hit us up on the Facebook, facebook.com slash rebelforceradio. And uh, we always want to hear what you have to say about the oxygen of Star Wars. And uh, David, what can we expect next time we get together? Uh, more talk about The Force Awakens, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next next show will be all about The Force Awakens. Want to talk about Scherzo for X-Wings. Want to, you know, uh, talk about the word Scherzo and where that comes from. Um, you know, a little bit about John Williams' influences. Um, want to talk about Torn Apart. And I want to talk about uh, Starkiller Base, and I want to talk about prequel references in the music. Oh, I can't wait. I know you have a lot to say about all of that. So, uh, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Star Wars Oxygen coming at you more often. I can tell by the feedback you're really enjoying this, the frequency of the shows. Uh, so we're going to try to keep it up and uh, and burn through the winter and into springtime with uh, nonstop oxygen coming at you. So, again, keep the feedback coming. Spread the word about the show. Tell everyone you know to check out all of our Star Wars podcasts at rebelforceradio.com. So on behalf of David W. Collins for Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jimmy Mack. Star Wars Oxygen. Remember, the Force will be with you always. Always.